Hello, welcome to the Cyclist Magazine podcast brought to you in association with Sportful. I'm your host, Joe Robinson. With me, as ever, James Spender. Hello, Joe. And on today's show, we take a trip to the jungle because we've been joined by a lion. The lion of Flanders, that is, Mr. Johan Museo. But before things get wonderfully Flemish, the things that are keeping our wheels turning and the things that have got us grinding our gears. Mr. Spender, as ever, a pleasure to see your face. Oh. How are you? Uh, what is getting you going in the world of cycling? What's getting you sad? What's getting me sad? Oh, I don't want to start off on a sad note. I'm going to start off on a happy note. I'm good. Um, we are obviously now slowly easing ourselves. We're on those first precious steps on our roadmap to freedom. Mm, it's the last time you're going to see me with my bowl haircut. Yeah, I mean, it's quite nice. Could you maybe cut a little bit off and leave it in a locket to me? I could wear that. I, I can do. I'll, get, I'll let the, the barber know. Yeah, no, if you could. So um, so that's something I'm looking forward to as well, actually, myself, is getting a haircut. But something I'm currently very much enjoying um, is just being able to sit in a garden and have a barbecue. So I'd say mm. barbecues. Barbecues are the things that I've just been absolutely loving. Barbecues and also, with a barbecue, a blanket. You know, like a little kind of uh, gingham-style blanket that you put over your knees, like right, yeah. like you're 85 and you've got a thermos and you've gone to go and, I don't know, watch your grandson play football. It's mm. kind of like that. So I've really I've embraced that. that kind of the hardier, the hardier outdoor uh, kind of ensemble of the elderly, if you will. I don't want to sound... All, all of that somehow sounds pejorative. It's not. Um, I just like blankets over my knees now, and I like barbecues, so that's been great. Excellent. And something that you're not liking? Uh, mini pumps. Mini pumps, yeah. A bit rubbish, aren't they? Mini pumps are just absolutely... <laughs> oh, so, so terrible. so rubbish. I was just trying to... Like, before we came on, I was just trying to find out the RRP of this particular mini pump that I've got. So it's a test one, because all the stuff we get is, like... It's test stuff for work, right? So uh, this one is... Silka and Silka is just incredibly expensive, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm just going to take it apart. I'm going to look it up now, really quickly. It's called the Silka. Uh, well, I mean, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll sort of fill in here. I, I yeah, think mini, mini pumps are terrible. Yeah, and uh, uh, the amount of times, obviously, puncturing is is part and parcel of riding a road bike, but the amount of times I've sort of gone to use my mini pump and it's just not worked. Yeah. Um, I, I have one at the moment that's pretty good, a Lazine, that does a decent job. Lazine? Is that, Lazine. is that the, Joe, the, the Dolly Parton song? Lazine, yeah. <laughs> Lazine. I've, I've always said Lazine, but I've never actually asked, so maybe it is Lazine. Rhymes a magazine. Now, I've just found the, I've just found the pump. Sorry to interrupt you. I've just found the Go pump. Ahead. It's Silka uh, Imperio Mini. Can I have a guess? Go on. It's Silka, so I'm going to go 69 99 uh, <laughs> Oh dear, that dear boy, dear boy. No, 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 no. One hundred and thirty pounds. One hundred and thirty pounds, and it's just not that good. Mm. It's just not that good, basically. And I really had high hopes because I thought of all the pumps in the world, this is going to be really good. Um, and you know, I've just had disastrous times with mini pumps. I had a Lazine, which got so hot. What's a Lazine? The... You mean lazy? <laughs> I had a, a Lazine, and the end got so hot from pumping that it melted itself shut. So I, was like, I don't understand why this isn't working. Took it apart and like inside the little plastic aperture where the air comes through the shaft had just melted because it got so hot and fused itself together. I had a little Blackburn one that I thought was really nimble and really cool. The day I actually came to use it, it had just basically shaken itself apart in my pocket. 
And so I went to like pull it apart, and it just came apart in my hand in bits at the side of the road. Luckily, I managed to screw it back together. Someone make a good mini pump. It can't yeah, be I, that hard. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I also agree if you can, investing, not only because they work better, but they look better, is a frame pump. Yes. Frame pumps can be good. So I will say that for Silka. This is the Imperio Mini, yeah. which is a mini version of the Imperio. Well, Impero. It's not probably how you say it. And the Impero is, is a classic frame pump. It is banging. That is probably one of the best pumps. It's the best pump on the market. You pay for it, mind, but it is the best frame pump going. It's so good. I I have been known to plan my rides knowing that I will never be more than 10k away from somewhere that I know has a track pump. I mean, so I know a couple of cafes and bike shops around my area yeah. that have track pumps. So in the especially in the winter when puncturing is especially where I live Rife. quite common. Very common. Even if you're on tubeless, even if you're riding, you know, rhino hide, it it does happen. So I always try and make sure that I'm never like more than 20 minutes away from like riding to a cafe or a or a, or a bike shop that will have a track pump really uh for places where you don't have a cafe or a bike shop do you bury the track pump are there little little uh, gps coordinates that you've got where you know that yeah I, I actually invested in 10 track pumps that i've um sort of chained to lamp posts around kent oh so. nice <laughs> i was wondering what they were i <laughs> thought someone was fly tipping again but no <laughs> But yeah, okay, well, uh, that's fair enough. Mini pumps, yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. definitely throw them into the cycling version of one, Room One Hundred One. Absolutely, that's absolutely. Good. Anyway, but how about how about you, my friend? What are you what are you liking? I'll tell you what I'm really enjoying is um, it's Zulia, aka Vuelta of Vase Vasco, aka the Tour of the Basque Country. Um, it's going on as we speak. We're recording this at the weekend. Sorry to burst the bubble, the illusion that we're doing this live, but um, it's one of my favourite races in the calendar. The the week long stage race in the northern part of Spain uh, in the Basque Country. If you don't know what the Basque Country is, it is like a region that um, a, lot of pe- a lot of people there, they, they consider themselves Basque rather than Spanish. Um, it's it had true. a troubled past, which I learned about at university while studying for my history degree. What did you get in um, your degree? What did I get in my degree? Yeah. 2-1. Oh. Eighty percent of people get two ones. Yeah, just standard, standard two one in history, mate. Um, but the best country is, I think, an undeniable gem in the cycling crown, James. I think it's very underrated and somewhere that you should visit on the bike or even off it. Um, first of all, it's, I think, oh, I think it's a culinary hacienda, James. So if you take the city of San Sebastian, which is one of its main hubs, it actually has more Michelin-star restaurants per person than anywhere in the world. But even beyond the Michelin-star sort of pomp and circumstance, some of the best food I've ever eaten in the entire world has been in the Basque Country. Genuinely, I've I sort of done quite a bit. I've done riding around there, and I've been to sort of like some very small towns that you wouldn't visit if you were a tourist. And I've always had a good meal. And they, they normally have pinchos, which is their version of tapas. It's slightly different. Um, and they have a lot of seafood. I've been, yeah. I was going to say, it's, I mean, traditionally in Europe, they consider themselves the um, the founding fathers of of basically cooking. They've got one of the, what they say, I've seen it actually, it's a, the oldest codified recipe book in the mm. world that dates back to like somewhere in the 1300s. So the first time anyone wrote down recipes, stuck them in a book. They reckon they've got it. They reckon they made it. And they have these amazing dining societies uh, where you basically pay a fee once a year. It's like a club 
and then everyone just they just buy in loads of food from the kind of cash and carry and you can get the keys go in there anytime you want go down to what's effectively like a big industrial kitchen and just cook up a meal for you and your mates and have a party just fill your boots it's got it's you know it's a free-for-all all that you know so you, you write down what you've taken and no one takes the mickey um but it's like a kind of like yeah dining society and there's a lot of those uh all over san sebastian it is, it is an amazing amazing place and i'm i must say as well if you are going and taking your bike so it's worth noting that tourism is actually quite tourism still is quite no, new to the best country i've haven't been there and spoken to locals because of the, the troubles that they've had in the sort of during the 20th century with independence and, and some of the, you know, separatist worries um, like concerted tourism to the area is still new as it would be compared to say like Tuscany or the Alps. Um, so they're still, they're sort of very welcoming I find. And the best thing about the Basque country is that they absolutely adore cycling. It's the number one sport in that region in fact, I would go as far as saying that Basques are as passionate about cycling as Flemish, the Flandrians, the Flemish. It's also, and I know that you've ridden there, probably the most courteous place I've ever been in terms of motor traffic to cyclists. They won't, they won't just sort of give you an in, like they won't just sort of overtake you a little bit. They will go into the other side of the road and risk their own life to make sure that they go nowhere near you. And they'll normally honk their horn at you and sort of shout at you to, to as an encouragement. Um, and it's just a, it's an amazing place. But do be prepared to climb an awful bloody lot if you're there. It is like Yorkshire, but on steroids. The climbs are, seem to all be over 15%. Um, it's not flat. It's really hard terrain. Um, and it's, it's why there's so many excellent bass climbers in the World Tour, I think. Because the terrain out there is like Yorkshire, but harder. And something I don't like at the moment, James, and you can probably hear it in my in my sinuses, is that I have been I'm in the war. Yeah. The hay fever war has begun for me. So every April May, I go through a, a sort of a, a fist fight with pollen, um, runny nose, spluttering, spewing. My eyes stuck together with gunk. I'm an utter mess throughout these spring months. What do you do about it? Well, I've tried every trick under the book. I've tried all the medicinal tricks. The you know, um, I've gone to the pharmacists and the doctors and been prescribed sort of antihistamines. Um, I've done all the wives' towels, the lo- eating local honeys. None of it works. It keeps it kind of at bay, but it really does affect every facet, facet of my life, including my riding. So, uh, you tried eating bees? I've tried eating bees. I've even tried taking triamcinolone like uh, others have done in the past for hay fever. <laughs> it's not worked. <laughs> but um, it's horrible. And like, Earlier this week, I went out on a ride, and I was with a friend, and we we were we were trying for a top ten in a local segment, and I just couldn't breathe. My legs felt fine, and I could pedal harder and harder, but I just couldn't breathe on the bike, and it's a horrible oh, mate, feeling. That's awful. Um, that's really yeah, and, you know, it's lucky that I'm not a pro rider because I wouldn't be any good in the spring classics. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, yeah. like as I said, like nothing's worked for me. Um, none of the antihistamines, none of the wives' tale stuff. But if any listener does have any tricks or tips, I'm all ears. I'm all blocked ears. Hey, so. the oldies are the goodies. Hey. <laughs> um, all right, enough of us. You're all here to listen to Johan Museo talk to us about being Flemish, cycling, his friendship with Patrick Lefebvre, and much, much more. So I think we should get into that interview, don't you? 
It's worth noting, Johan, you um you recently joined Dry- Dries from the Cycling in Flanders, and who was the writer, James? Was he? Oh, that was uh, so it's Philip was the writer, and also Julie was on the ride, I think. Yeah, and you 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 recently appeared in one of our issues of Cyclist, Johan, for a ride around the the most famous cobbles of Flanders. And we, me and James were both talking about before we came on how how fit you still look and how well you've kept in shape, having been retired now for almost 20 years. It's 20 years? Well, it's what, 15, 20 years, getting close. <laughs> I think it's more than 20. Um, yeah, I think it's more than 20. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it will be this year, 20, 25 years uh, anniversary of uh, World Championships in Lugano. So and this year it's in Belgium. So uh, it's a nice uh, that it is 25 years. But um, yeah, I try to, to bike uh, yeah, the most of the weeks, uh, four or five times in a week. Uh, when it's good weather, like today, I have uh, the chance to get out in the afternoon, but it's a rainy day, so it's it's a bad bad day today. So I stay home. How how many kilometers a week do you reckon you're doing at the moment? I try to do around four hundred, five hundred in a week. Wow, how does that compare? How does that compare to how many you were doing in a week as a professional when you were riding professionally? Um, I don't know exactly because we have just a small computer and that's it. We don't we don't have the platform like uh, Strava like that. Um, if you have a book and you you write it all on, you can count it at the end of the year. But I didn't. So yeah, it, last year I did twenty five thousand uh, kilometers. Wow! Um, and this year it'll be probably around twenty five. So a, a professional rider with racing and training, he do around 30,000, something like that. Goodness. So it's, it's in the neighbor. It's impressive. It's certainly impressive. It, it suggests that you've never, you still love riding your bike then. You haven't fallen out of love like some other retired professionals I, I've met who have, um, the moment they stop riding, they, they put their bike away forever. So, But that's not the case for you. Uh, no, I, I stopped when I was uh, 38. And yeah, if I have, I have the chance to go on, to, to going on, but it was time to stop for everything. So I still love uh, training. I still love the races. And now I still love to get out with the bike, even when it's not so good weather. So, uh, yeah, today it's, it's bad weather and I have the chance to get out and I don't feel okay because the weather is, it's not okay. But I count already for tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon, it will be good weather. So this tomorrow afternoon, I will do three hours, four hours, maybe. So, um, and yeah, I, I have lucky now. My girlfriend is also biking, so we do it together. And yeah, it's also a little bit of a quality time if you can do it together because biking is, is, is hours and time. And if you have, if you do running, if you run one hour, it's okay. And that's a lot, but one hour biking, that's nothing. So you have to do a couple of hours to have something. Uh, if you do 100k, um, yeah, then you need a couple of hours, especially here in the Flemish Ardennes. Do you ride like with numbers in mind or are you just riding for enjoyment and going at the speed you want to go at? It's depend if I'm with a group and now it's, it's difficult, uh, for everybody to get out with the group. Now for, for the moment, we can do it with four, four people. 
And yeah, normally I do bike guiding here uh, and everywhere. And if they want to test me, I, I, I test them also. So um, that's also the reason that I have to be in a, yeah, in, in a good shape for my age. So uh, if I get out with young people, yeah, then they want to test me and also older people. <laughs> sometimes I, I, I join them, but sometimes I say, oh, also, no, no, no. Um, I don't want to do a competition anymore. Does that include your son, Johan, Stefano, who's obviously a pro with beat cycling? Does he test you on some of the climbs when you go out together? Um, I don't test with him anymore. I did it uh, <laughs> still, yeah. Last year, it was already a little more difficult for me. And this year, it's, it's impossible. I was with him one month in Spain to, for a training camp. And yeah, I, did, I have nothing to do. I say, uh, <laughs> I, I, come, I come with you because uh, I don't have job to do. And yeah, um, especially in the climbs, it's difficult to follow him. And if he have to do some blocks, then it's impossible to do. But um, okay, I'm, I'm happy that I'm... Yeah, for my age, I'm still in a good shape, and I bike, and I love to bike. But I bike also with, uh, yeah, what I what I can do, what I want to do, and uh, because I have a long career, and I have to ca- take care of my body as well. <laughs> I was going to ask. Uh, so, when, when you're not riding with uh, Stefano or with your girlfriend, do you do you manage to cycle alone, or is it a case that wherever you go, people just go, "Hey, Johan, hey, Johan," because I mean, you're probably the most famous person in your area, I would suggest, quite by by a country mile. It's um, especially this this uh, time of the of the year. It's uh, you know I'm on television and a newspaper, and then it's it's growing. Yeah? And yeah, especially if I get out with a bike, and especially on the circuit of the Tour of Flanders, and there's a lot of people. Then yeah, then they say hello, and then they ask who will win, and. Uh, yeah, they they still know who I am because um, I'm still bike a lot and I do some publicity and I do some TV and that's the part of two times to the Flanders winner and three times Paris winner and world champion and World Cup winner and the other race. So it's uh, it's a little bit my fault that they recognize <laughs> me. And do you have uh, other contemporaries, so other um, riders that were racing with you and on your teams in your? In, in the Ardennes that you go riding with? Do you ride with old pros? Yeah, old pros in this region. I don't live so far away from Peter van Pittingham, but he don't bike a lot. Uh, he's, he's work a lot. I prefer to bike a lot and not to work hard. <laughs> he's, doesn't he sell insurance? Yeah, he do insurance, uh, especially for a sportive and for riders. Um, yeah, he's, he's work hard and yeah, Normally, if I do bike guiding, that that's my job. But now, with uh, with the difficult time that we are in, plus a, a lot of your a lot of your friends from your career um, are, are people like Wilfred Peters, who still work in the peloton. So um, you don't they they're not around as much as as you are. They're they're still very busy, sort of traveling around the world in team cars. Yeah, I was with him in uh, in in January with with Wilfred. He was there with his team and. Uh, one day he gave, he come with me to to ride and uh, yeah he want to restart slowly, but uh, yeah it's it's always like that. Sometimes he have the time a couple of weeks and then he have three weeks nothing. So uh, his condition is always up and down and 
to have a good condition with the bike, you have to be, uh, yeah, you have to bike two or three times in a week. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, it's difficult. So when uh, Wilfried has uh, his job, and now especially with the Spring Classic, it's difficult for him. And after the Spring Classics, he has time, but uh, not not time enough to to build up his condition. Did you ever ever think that you would make a return? to the peloton in a managerial capacity or running a team at all? At the beginning, um, I was thinking to do something in, in cycling. and uh, But now I'm, uh, yeah, I find my way after uh, that I stop. And uh, it's, I like it and I want to keep it on like that. So uh, I'm involved a little bit with uh, Stefano and also with his team, B team. Sometimes I have helped them here for the organization and for everything. But to work and to do something in a team, no. If they ask it me one day, I will think about it. But I don't, I don't think I will say yes. Uh, in, the, in the future, Alan Piper was asking to me to be a... Uh, yeah, Tactical ambassador of the team, and yeah, yeah, I say finally no because I know what it is to work for a team, and if you work for a team, you don't have time for yourself. And now I I have time for myself, for my family, and um, yeah, I have eighteen years as professional, a hard life, and now I want to have it a little bit more uh, softer and and softly and relax and. Yeah, if as if you're involved in a team, it will be stressful and every time working and you have to go to Spain, to Italy, everywhere. So now when I have the time to bike, I go out with bike with people or with customers or with friends or with my girlfriends. As professional, um, it's different. So it's worth coming back to the, the beginning of your career because you said that you've had you were a pro for 18 years and and even in your retirement, you're enjoying the bike. But bef- you actually got to cycling quite late, didn't you, Johan? You were 15 because I read somewhere that you played football as a kid rather than um, sort of raced bikes. Is that true? The problem was that you can start competition if you was 15 years. Uh, now you can start already if you are 10 years or 11 and 12. So um, I was a soccer player. To be honest... Don't have a lot of interesting in soccer anymore. If the uh, national team is playing, I will look. But um, cycling is one of the part of my life, and I watch always cycling, and I'm full of cycling because that's that's my life, and I know something about it. When you were a kid, did were you a cycling fan? Were you watching it? Because I know your dad was a pro briefly in the sixties, but when you were in your teenage years, were you? Were you watching cycling? Did you have any heroes in the peloton? When I was young, uh, yeah, we, on, on Sunday, when they are the spring classics, we watch uh, Flanders and Roubaix. That was the generation of uh, Eddie Merckx, of course. And everybody was fan of Eddie Merckx. And also Roger de Vlaming, Freddie Martins, and Francesco Moser. Uh, all that heroes. And yeah, I remember that I uh, get uh, after Kitchirium, uh, after the Tour de France, I went with my palm, with my dad to a Kitchirium. And yeah, I saw the Mercs and yeah, I want a sign from him. And he stopped before me so when I was a young kid. And so many years later, he was my coach in Lugano. So uh, yeah, life can change 
sometimes. Uh, and yeah, he's he is a good friend of me, and yeah. Yeah, I have the chance to get him as coach, and I have the chance also to to ride also with his son with Axel. So Axel, he he's done a good job for me in Lugano, and we have raced together four years in the in the Domo team. Yeah, and also yeah, as you say, life is life is kind of funny that one day Eddie Merckx is signing uh, signing a piece of paper for you, and you're there with your father at Criterium, and then a few years later you're winning world championships, and he's in your corner. Was there a what was the was there a single kind of um a point or a person that told kind of young johan this is it you're going to be a cyclist what was that moment for you where you thought i think i can do this i want this to be my life it was my my decision because i i was good good in soccer and uh it wasn't expect for the team and but uh, one day i said to my trainer i will stop with uh, playing because next week I will go cycling. And in the beginning, uh, I did cyclocross because I like cyclocross and I was awful. So a fan of uh, Roland Liboton. So uh, that generation was Laurent Liboton. He was like Senez. He won everything. And I started with cyclocross and when I was young and I, I like it because, yeah, Cyclocross in that generation was uh, more mud and more uh, running, and yeah, it wasn't like now. It wasn't so tactical, tactical fall. Yeah, and later on, I start with with the roads and the first races. I was already over there. So uh, then slowly, slowly, then you will come in the in the selection of a national team, and then it done it was very fast for me. Do you think that cyclocross is still an important part of a professional's? kind of uh, a professional CV because back in as you say back in your day particularly Belgian riders you would stop over the winter but you wouldn't stop cycling you'd go into cyclocross and you'd also you almost race year round and I know that Eddie Merckx is somebody that says you know racing you just got to race a lot that's how you win you race lots Uh, and now we see uh, riders like Wilk van Aert um, also riding cyclocross do you think riders need to get back to that year round level of competition or is it more healthy to have time off in winter, uh, I'm 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 of course fun because I did it cyclocross and I know um, it gave me a lot of experience, uh, for, especially for Robert and Flanders. And if you see a cyclocross man on the road, yeah, it's it's different. On the bike, he is is better than 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 another rider. So um, young people have to do a mix of of cyclocross, why not mountain bike, track racing, and road racing. So um, now it's yeah, no, it's it's difficult to to say because Wout van Aert and Van der Poel they are so big talents and they can do the mix, they can do both, uh, but not everybody can do the both because it's it's hard to do both and um, it's also hard for them to do both. Uh, the program it's 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 a long season for them. I know it's it's quite difficult in the winter to to find a way with your trainer what you have to do because. Especially last year, it was a long season. Um, it was in November still racing, and then in January you have already the races. So yeah, in winter you have to recover as well, and it's difficult to find a good way for your trainer and yourself to be there. But um, I know in my generation in the eighties, uh, in the winter we did uh, yeah four or five times in a week cyclocross. 
When you're watching um, Flanders or Roubaix, can you spot the riders that are cyclocross riders in their spare time, and can you spot the riders who don't ride cross? Yeah, yes, yes. You know, we we have uh, as an ex rider, we we look different to 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 race than than somebody else because um, yeah, we have still the, the stomach to look in the race, and then you see the difference about uh, a cyclocross man and somebody has not done cyclocross. An example, if you go to the old Parmo, yeah, then you have to go in the middle of the peloton in the front and not on the left, on the right side, because yeah, on the left or right side, you, you, you lose energy. And if you go in the middle, then it's a better way. So when, if a cyclocross man can, can do that. We touched upon Volt Van Aert there, but, um, in Belgium, there's always an expectation that there'll be a big classic star. So if you look back in history, there was Van Looy, De Vlamink and uh, Merckx. And then there was yourself, Johan, and then you were replaced by Tom Boonen. But then there was a... It seemed like once Tom Boonen retired, there was questions about the next big star. Do you think... Has Walt Van Aert become that big star in Belgium? And is he being given the same sort of pressure that you were given when you were racing and, and Tom when he was racing as well? Yeah, it's, it's all, always in Belgium when we have a star and then, then, then they look already uh, further on uh, for a new star. And Tom Bonner was a, a, a very big champion. He won four times Roubaix, three times Flanders as well. Then they're looking already for a new star. And yeah, on that moment, uh, there was already Van Aert, but we, we didn't know couple of years before that Van Aert will become a rider like that and we have other riders we have also Evenepoel so uh, we have also Van Sevenant uh, yeah we have still Gilbert we have still uh, Van Avermaet we have Oliver Nassis but we're talking about now young riders and yeah uh, Van Aert is, is still a young rider yeah in Belgium there is uh, a hype uh, it's yeah for a champion like them there it's it's amazing now so it's it's still more difficult now for them than generation Bonen but for Bonen it was yeah it was a media hype eh? and now for for them for Van Aert and especially for Evenepoel it's it's yeah it's it's amazing. I've spoken to Evanapol about the pressure, and he said that it's quite intense. Um, what what from your opinion? How how are Belgium looking at Evanapol? Because it's been a long time since you've had a Grand Tour contender, and it looks like in Evanapol you could have someone who could finally win a Tour de France. So that must be. Uh, I, I can imagine that the the media and the press in Belgium are already calling him the next Merckx which is something that they often do. You know, Remco is, is still young. And after his crash of last year in Tour de Lombardy, it's, it's, it's also a lesson for him. It was amazing around uh, the person, Evenepoel. And that's, that's normal because he, he was a, a big star. And yeah, then you do a crash and then you have to come back and then it's hard. Sometimes you want to go back again and to be a normal person like everybody and that's difficult for him especially in Belgium because Belgium it's, it's different than, than other countries here it's it's cycling and it's cycling and it's cycling again so um, 
everybody knows here even a pool that's how it's work here and if he go out with the bike or if he go to the bakery or something like that yeah he can't live not normal anymore and that's quite hard if you have to do that a long time but what, what would your advice be to young riders like that to be able to keep themselves grounded and to keep themselves focused because you know we have seen and he got through it, but say Tom Boonen famously, bit of a party animal when he got particularly famous, crashing expensive cars. How did you keep yourself grounded when you were riding? And what advice would you give to these young riders? Yeah, to stay with your feet on the ground. To stay okay. I'm I'm a rider. I have a lot of money. I have a lot of success. But I have to stay here. And I have to work hard every day, every week. And the most important things uh, that I have to win races. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, ha- you have to get out to, to do something different and something else. And it's also important to invest the money as a rider because you're biking, you're training and you do, yeah, you do training camps and you do races and you win and you're successful. But you need somebody who invests your money. And that's also important. That's even more important than, than win races. Because if you stop, then it's over, then it's finished. And then you have to restart again a new life. Did you ever kind of wish that maybe you were riding 10 years later in terms of retiring, not in 2004, but retiring, retiring in 2014? Because I think the sport suddenly really took off with a huge injection of money and big sponsorship um, from about 2010 onwards in a way that it didn't have uh, it have before. And I, f- I remember Eddie Merckx saying in an interview that he, he made more money after he finished cycling than he ever did, even though he won more than anyone else. There was just not the money in the sport. Every generation looks back at the generation uh, behind them and thinks we're earning more, but then the generation after them earns even more than that. Would it be... Would you wish to transpose your career and have that now and have those opportunities? The different is, I think it's the double, eh? double. Um, but in my generation, um, if we buy uh, a small house or an apartment, it was also not the prices like now. Now everything is more expensive and it's normal that they have uh, a higher salary. salary. I don't look back because that was uh, a good time in my life and I have uh, good money. But being Joan Museo in Flanders, you are very well known, as you've said. Does that mean if you were, though, to go into a bar, do, you, do people want to buy you drinks all the time? I've always wondered. Do people offer to buy you a, a beer or a glass of wine because you're Johan Museo? But before I, I answer you, uh, try to say my name correct. You say museum. Eh? It, it's museum. Museum. It's not, it's not muse- museum. museum. If, if you say this museum here in Flanders, then you go to museum, like the Tour of Flanders Museum. <laughs> um, but I know from, uh, from uh, when I was in the UK and I do the Tour of Britain, it was difficult to say my name. But they have also that problem in France, so no problem. Uh, but uh, normally, if we go to a, a bar or a restaurant, um, yeah, people recognize me still. And then they look around and uh, yeah, they, they talk to each other and they say, hey, that's uh, Johan Michel. But um, they don't 
always offer me something to drink. <laughs> and if if you did, it, would you take a a Belgian beer or a glass of red wine? We are in a country that where they make good beers, but I prefer good red wines. And I have racing a long time in an Italian team of Patrick Trefever and. And when I was riding in that team, we were a lot in Italy, in Italy. And that was the starting for, uh, to drink a good of red, red glass wine. So, um, yeah, I prefer, uh, red wine than beer. And Patrick Lefebvre is a, a, a big wine fan and a big, he loves good food and good wine. I, I've heard he knows, he knows his stuff. I know I'm quite good, so uh, he's, he loves to get out, to have uh, eating in a good restaurant with, with clients or with sponsors. And yeah, he, if I see him, I say always, I don't want to, have, to be in your life because it's, it's not normal how you have to, 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 to do it because um, he's not so young anymore and he's still going and going and going. And um, yeah, he's... He has to be phys- physical way and in a good shape to do that because uh, he travels still a lot and he eats a lot and he has to drink a lot with, uh, with clients and with cost- customers. And yeah, um, I say always, um, I don't be- want to be a particular favor. You mentioned Patrick there and I've, I've often wondered, what was it like to have him ultimately as your boss and your mentor? What was your working relationship with him like? Because he strikes me... And I've only seen him at a distance or seen him in a larger group of people. But he strikes me as someone that can be very funny and very genial, but probably has a very, very hard side to him because he has to, because that's the role he's in. So what was he? What was it like working with him? In the first years, he was my sport director. Eh? And yeah, then we are very close. And that was also the generation that, that the sport director was coming on the room and say hello in the room and speak uh, a couple minutes or a couple uh, of maybe one hour. Because, yeah, now it's different with, uh, with everything. Eh? Now uh, with social media and everything you have uh, and... and uh, but that that generation that was different than now because sport director was more closer to his rider, and yeah, we we are in an Italian team with five Belgium guys, eh? yeah, and he have to find a way to to be close with us and also be close with with the with the others. And at the beginning, we didn't speak Italian, so uh, it was difficult for us and also for him. But uh, after a couple of years, he was coming slowly, uh, manager, team manager. And then he had to change a little bit uh, because yeah, as, a, as a sport director, you are very close with the rider. And as a team manager, yeah, you have to be close with everybody. Can you, re- can you remember the first time that Lefebvre shouted at you? And can you remember the first time that he hugged you? Oh, a hug. Hugging is always after a victory, that was, uh, yeah, that, that was already the first year that I won the Tour of Flanders with him. And on my Bianchi bike uh, in the national uh, champion jersey, that was my first year in, in, in his team. And I won immediately uh, the Tour of Flanders for them. So that was uh, the first time that I, that I saw him uh, very happy after the race. What about the first time he was unhappy with you? 
we didn't did a fight uh, because we are unhappy. Um, but yeah, there was always a conversation that we can do together with them if there is if there was somebody. And yeah, there were still now discussions, and they do it uh, in the kitchen of the team. Né? I call it always the kitchen of the team. And yeah, if there is something, there is always Lefebvre who's yeah who's building around to make it uh, clear and to make it really sunny and really. Uh, happy again, so uh, that's that. That's a part of of him, James. I, I thought it was a good way to bring this sort of to a conclusion. I've got some quick fire questions for Johan. So Johan, um, I've got some questions and I want to know you, your answers. So first of all, uh, what's what's a better race, uh, the Tour of Flanders or Paris Roubaix? During my career, I will say more Flanders, but no after. I have to say maybe Roubaix because if I do bike guiding and if I with the clients uh, in Roubaix, especially uh, from the US and from from everywhere, they love more Roubaix than Flanders. The race is harder than Flanders, Roubaix, because we have 60k of cobblestones. We have also cobblestones in Flanders, but not so much. Um, who was your toughest competitor during your career which rider did you fear the most i haven't afraid for nobody because if you feel afraid at the start then you lose already something i say always to myself you have done everything to be good who was your uh, favorite teammate did you have a teammate throughout your career that you respected most or that you enjoyed being around the most uh, my teammates were uh, really uh, great for me because they did a lot for me. Um, uh, of course, you have a, a roommate, and my roommate was Wilfried Peters. And he was also one of the best teammates in my career because he was working quite hard for me, and he was also still there in the final. So, um, yeah, he, he was there in the beginning, and he was at the end over there. So I don't see a lot of riders that working in the beginning and they are still at, in the final over there. So uh, he was really uh, a great rider. Yeah, and you're known as the Lion of Flanders. But in your eyes, who is the ultimate Flandrian rider? Who is the ultimate Flandrian? Brick Schotter for me. Because that was the generation that they are not so nice full on the bike, uh, not so nice full with clothing, not so nice full with helmet because there wasn't a helmet, there was a cape. And the sunglasses are really special, uh, like a Flandria. Yeah, for me, a Flandria have to be not so perfect on the bike. Ladies and gentlemen, Listeners of the Cyclist Magazine podcast, that was Johan Museo, the Lion of Flanders. I'll be sure to um, I'll be sure to say his name correct. I did enjoy him correcting me on my pronunciation. On your pronunciation, I thought um, I thought Joseph that actually um, just you know just leveling with you, I thought that was a little bit unfair of him. I think you were saying Museo. I I didn't want to I didn't want to, but in my head in my head I was like. Well, actually, Johan, I'm suffering quite badly with hay fever. <laughs> so my pronunciation's not at its finest. But I didn't want to get into that conversation. And also, I don't think... I, I, I get the sense that you don't really disagree with Johan Museo. Yeah, yeah. I, I also... Yeah, because 
he's a um, he's quite a, he's a he's winner. A big guy as well. He's he's a winner. He's a big guy. I've met him a couple of times actually. So I the first ever time I rode Paris Roubaix was in 2016, um, and the day before I actually we went over to Flanders to sort of tick off some of the bigger climbs like the Paterberg and the Koppenberg. And anyone who's been to Flanders, he he literally is just about all the time. Like you can turn up to Udenard on any given Saturday or Sunday, and you will see him. And I remember sort of, I was in a, a an MGB um, MBK team jacket that I bought off of eBay that he rode it for that team. And I went up to him and I was like, "Oh, Johan, look, you rode for this team. Look at this jacket." And I got a photo of him. But he is. He's like, it's kind of like going to Wembley and like Jeff Hurst just knocking around, or <laughs> like Gary Lineker is just like knocking about outside. Uh, on Wembley Way, like every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually it's it's quite it's quite remarkable, and it's very unique to our sport. It is, isn't it? it but, is. And I feel like weirdly, everyone's kind of a lot. I've met a lot of people, and they've all kind of got a story about Museo in a inadvertent way. And I've got one. I've kind of met him before, but then also I haven't. In as much as I've never been in the same room as him, but my image and his image have appeared in the same image because years ago I did some. I guess you could call it modelling, although that's a bit grand because I'm certainly not a model. I rode a bike for a photo shoot for Esso, um, as an excellent... The petrol, the, the petroleum Yeah, company. I mean, this was in the early days of sports washing, so they were really trying to get themselves clean <laughs> by sponsoring a cyclocross series in Belgium. So I went over to Belgium. They, they still sponsor the Belgian national team. Oh, they do? Well, there you go. So I, I went over with a snapper from the UK and uh, they photographed me riding around some incredibly grim Belgian cobbles. It was so grim. And lo and behold, one of the pictures, Johan obviously went, because he, he's everywhere, he went to the launch of the campaign. He's ever-present. He's ever-present. Ever he is omnipotent. Uh, and he he went to the launch of this campaign. So there's a picture on their campaign website of me in the picture and him stood next to the picture and then a picture of that. I know that's a bit meta. So that's my claim to fame with Johan. Um, and a little insider piece of information on that. It rained so hard that we couldn't go out one day, but we really had to make it look like I was breathing heavily for one of the pictures, and we didn't know how to do it. Luckily, this was back in the day where you know I used to smoke and vape. So we <laughs> sat outside on a turbo trainer underneath, <laughs> yeah, underneath the uh, the awnings of the Leopold Hotel, which if anyone's been to Udenard, that's the kind of one where you, everyone stays. Um, underneath the awnings of that, and I just vaped away, making these big clouds of smoke while the photographer took pictures, and that got superimposed over the image. So, you know, nothing is what it seems. Amazing. Um, I thought that was a really lovely, lovely chat, though, with Johan. It was, uh, he, was yeah. in a, he was in a really good, he was in a good mood, some good stories. Little fact about Patrick Lefebvre. If you're ever at a race, or you ever, if you ever see Patrick Lefebvre in a restaurant, you know, you go into that restaurant because you know it's going to be good food and good wine. That man is like a walking, talking connoisseur of like sort of luxury. Connoisseur, connoisseur, a walking, talking Zagat guide. He is, he is the, the Michelin inspector himself. No, I know what you mean. And uh, I was hoping that we might get a little bit more dirt on Patrick because I feel he'd be a great uh podcast guest because i think like he's one of the longest serving members of cycling he's seen it all from a racer through those generations yeah. thick and thin like. he he also he's a bit of the harry redknapp of a bit of a harry redknapp's about him that he's always good for a comment and he's always he always tempts you with a little bit 
and then but doesn't don't... give you the full full like story and he'll yeah. and he'll happily he'll happily uh, dig people out as well which is always good but i sort of also see him as a cross between i know we constantly make these football analogies but a cross between a red nap uh and alex ferguson and also big sam allardyce so <laughs> he's 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 a man you don't mess with uh, he could drag you up by the bootstraps and stop you getting relegated. Equally, he can win you a Premier League. But he knows where the bodies are buried, does yeah. that man. And, and Johan, Johan knows that too, and he wouldn't tell us. I've got a good Patrick Lefebvre drunk story that I'll have to tell you off pod, because <laughs> I can't. I probably can't tell it on pod. But, <laughs> but um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll bring it to a wrap there, James, um, because why not? You're, going on, you're on holiday now. You're, I'm technically on holiday. You're yeah. technically look at on me, holiday. Look at me being on holiday. I want you to get back to your staycation. Your staycation being in your flat that you've been in since the beginning of the pandemic. So, um, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, of course, make sure you like, you subscribe, and you do all of the other relevant stuff like sharing it with your cycling friends. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the Paris Roubaix special that we put out last week. A little bonus pod for you there, um, as ever as well. There's that Jaybird offer on the headphones. I've got myself a set at the moment. They're pretty good. I'm enjoying them, listening to a lot of Phil Collins on them, and the drums sound excellent. Um, But until then, James, have a nice week off, and we'll catch up in a week's time with our next episode. Yes, we shall. Take care, my friend.